Let's think about a couple things today. Take your revelation that you brought with you. It is good to see you and gather with you today. We're going to be in Mark's gospel, but I want you to turn over to the book of Job. Turn over to the book of Job. Job gives us a little insight about uh, what's going across the country right now. Job, go to Proverbs and Psalms and Job 37. Job 37. Yeah, Job 37. One thing when you're reading the book of Job, People quote Job, people use the book of Job. Something that you want to pay close attention when you're reading in the book of Job, there's a few different characters in the book of Job that, are, that speak. Now we know the whole revelation is God's word, amen? amen. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Now what some of these people will say in the book of Job, God comes to Job and to them and corrects them. So you can't take what they say as the gospel because these people acted out of their natural flesh to give some insight to Job, but their insight that they imparted to him was incorrect and God tells Job and them that their advice to him was incorrect. So you can't take what they say and um, take it out of its, out of its setting and say this is the gospel truth, you, you, you just can't do that. So you want to be very cautious when you read through the book of Job because it's often somebody speaking and telling Job what's wrong with Job and why God did what he did to Job and they had no clue. They had no clue what was going on in Job's life. They had no clue what was happening behind the scenes, how God is the one who initiated the enemy and gave him the permission to do what he did to Job. They didn't know that. They misunderstood the whole thing. Same way with Jesus. They misunderstood Jesus. That's why you take Isaiah 53 tells us that the people in Jesus, they thought Jesus was being, he was smitten, he was being punished by God because of how they were treating him and what they were doing. They just didn't know who he was. They didn't know what he came to do. They misunderstood him. Even in our reading today, remember when Judas brought the betrayers, the people that was going to take him? Remember Judas said, the one I go up to and kiss, that's him? Because the people who were coming to get him didn't even know who he was. They, he wouldn't have stood out to them as being somebody special or something because Isaiah also tells us and Psalms, Psalms tell us that, that Jesus, there was nothing about his physical appearance that made him stand out as being anything special. He blended in with everybody else. You would have never thought that he was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that he was God in flesh if it was just from a physical standpoint. You would have walked right by him and thought he was just another guy. That's why we have to be cautious on when we, when we study and read things. But when Job speaks, Job speaks with, with clarity and with wisdom and even Job battled with some things in his spirit. God comes to him and corrects him as well. And I'm thankful for a God that's compassionate and does that very thing in our life. Amen? Amen. But notice what he said about weather. About weather. Right now across the country, the weather has got people in some turmoil. It's shut down things. It's going to shut down some things. But notice, I'm just going to read in verse number one. 
At this also my heart trembles. And leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. God sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, a voice roars. You know, when we see the lightning, what follows lightning? Thunder. What Job is saying, God speaks through the storms. God speaks in the storm. Every time you hear, now this is something fundamental for us. Every time you hear the rumbling of the atmosphere, the atmosphere is unstable. We know what? Storms are coming. You know what we see in the book of Revelation? Every time we see the throne of God, you see lightnings and thunderings and roarings. Why? There's a coming storm. Now we don't have to look for the storm because we're looking for who? We're looking for the Savior. But this world that doesn't have a relationship that is not sold out on Jesus, all they can anticipate is a coming storm. God speaks in the rumble that a storm is coming. It's a warning that storms are coming. It says in verse number four, after it a voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. Verse five, God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which cannot be what? Comprehended in the natural. It takes supernatural Gifts from God to comprehend the voice of God, what God says. There's other places in the scriptures like Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God, but what he has made known to man belongs to man. King Solomon said it like this. It is the glory of God to cover up and conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. We put ourselves in position to seek God, to ask God to help us, to give us understanding. But if he don't let us comprehend it, we're not going to figure it out. Are you with me? Amen. That's why we submit. We are at his mercy. And we know that. Verse 6 says, For he says to the what? He says to the snow, fall on the earth. Likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. Verse 7, he seals, he closes, he stops, he hinders the hand of every man that all men may know his work. What happens when this goes on? The beasts go into their dens, they go in the hiding, they go take cover. From the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds and they swirl about being turned by his guidance like a ropesman on a ship that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it. He causes these things to come. Sometimes it's for what? For correction. Sometimes it's for the land's sake. And sometimes it's for his mercy. 
So I want to tell you what's going on across the country and everybody getting isolated, these frigid cold weather coming in with the ice and the snow and all that. What, what, what God does in that, he just reminds us that we are at his mercy. Amen. We're at his mercy. He's the one brings it. He's the one who can take it away. Amen. And we want to recognize that. These are just some tools for us. When we see hurricanes come up from the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic Ocean or typhoons over in the Pacific Ocean, that is done by the breath of God in those whirlwinds. Tornadoes, all those things in this old natural world we live in are all generated by a sovereign God and we can then submit ourselves to Him and say, Lord, what are you bringing this in our lives for? Are you correcting us? Are you doing something to the land that we should have done that we didn't do? Or is this out of your mercy in how you are working through all this? And we just can't help but give you the glory. Speak to your people. Here we are. You've stilled our hand. Ain't nothing we can do. We can't stop it. We can't change it. We can't alter it. These weathermen and women, what are they? They're just predictors, aren't they? They're just predicting. We get upset with them when they miss a prediction, but that's all they are. They cannot control the weather. And all God's people said, that's out of their hands. Yes, they use instruments. Yes, they use Doppler radar. Yes, they use this. Back when Stephanie and I were kids down in New Orleans, there was a guy by the name of Nash Roberts. You remember old Nash Roberts? You remember old Nash Roberts? Oh, Nash, he didn't have all that technology, huh? He had him old chalkboard up there and he'd be drawing stuff. I think he would predict the weather when he was driving across the causeway. Coming up from, because he lived on the North Shore on our side and would drive in all the time, but he was a pretty good weatherman, wasn't he? But he was a predictor. That's all he is. That's all they can do, Brother Shannon. That's all they can do. That's all they can do. So they're predicting what? It to be frigid tomorrow, right? Predicting a little ice, a little possible snow, and a few other things. And we just encourage you to hunker in and uh, just ask God to speak to you and guide you and give you what you need. Amen. This is a tool that can be used in your hand. Remember, we put tools in people's hands so that they have a tool to do a, a job the right way. Rusty's glad he's got his, his equipment to be able to uh, cut trees and load trees and all that. If he had to do it the way they used to do it with cross-cut saws and with mules and all that, Rusty wouldn't be in the logging business. Are you with me? If old Greg didn't have a skid steer and a track hoe and a dozer and a dump truck, he wouldn't be in the business he's doing today. He said, I'd done it when I was 40 years ago, but not today, right? Greg said today, I want a covered cab. I want AC in it and heat in it. And, and, and I, I, years ago, it was a different story, but he, he said he, he's 60 years old. How old are you, Greg? 60 years old. Tommy, how old are you? You like them cabs covered up, huh? Man, tools, they're just tools in our, tools in our hand, tools in our hand. So this is another tool to operate with. And, and let's go look at a few more over in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. So remember that, Job 37. Everybody's impacted by the weather, one way or another, amen, whether it be Whatever seasons we go through, everybody's impacted by the weather. So that can be a good starting point for you to open up a door to be able to communicate with people. Did I see, did y'all have a soccer game yesterday, mine? Was it cold out there? 
Was you bundled up? Smoke coming out your mouth when you was playing and running? Was you steaming when you got hot? Man. Everybody's affected by the weather. Everybody. All right, so let's look over in Mark's gospel. I want you to think about a couple things as we are about to wrap it up. We're on chapter 14, got two more chapters left for us in Mark's gospel. If you don't have a reading calendar, we try to send them out in text form, but we got calendars up here for you. Also down on the bottom, there's got a, a way to get to the, the website to be able to listen to messages if you're not here and other messages and things like that. I think we go up to close to 40 messages around these works in Mark's gospel that we've already studied in some other gospels that parallel with what we're looking at exactly right now as well. But something that we want to keep in mind is this, is that God has chosen, chosen us in Christ. He's called us. He's converted us that have been converted through Christ Jesus. He has commissioned us and we know beyond any shadow of a doubt He has predetermined to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. For whom He foreknew, He called. And those He called, He predestined. What did he predestine us for? To be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you're reading through this gospel or anything we see Jesus at work doing throughout the revelation of God's word, what we see is that's what God is doing. He's conforming us to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you think about that, I can't help but think about a few passages that Mark doesn't cover. But say John may cover of what was going on when they were in that upper room eating that last supper. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet and served them and girded himself with that towel. And he says something. He says something in how, uh, why he was going to do what, what he did. What was it? We see, we want to see in these gospels, we want to see Jesus' his love. We want to see his love. He was compelled by love. It was a relational love for his father and that translated over to everything that was the father's, that the father had given it to him. Matter of fact, go look in John's gospel. Let me show you this. John chapter number 14. Yeah, John's gospel. John chapter 14. Look, if you would... John 14, Mark doesn't talk about this. Mark doesn't bring this up. But this is what was going on in what we're reading today. This is some other things that were happening. And Jesus says something in here that is something that we want to note. We want to remember. We want to remember this was happening at this particular time. Of course, in John 15, he talks about abiding in the vine. That we can't do anything unless we stay connected to Him. It's in that connection to Him that we see that conforming us unto the image of, of the Lord. But look in 14, in verse 31. 1431. Y'all have heard me 
refer to these passages before. We've, we've taught on them, talked about them. But don't, don't forget, this is something that he said, a revelation that he gives, light that he shares, clarity that he imparts of why he's doing what he's doing. 1431 says, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father has given me a commandment, so I do. Arise and let us go from here. And that's when he continues to teach about abide and then they go to the garden of Gethsemane from there. But that just that phrase, I mean that ought to, that, that right there is one of those that should grip our, our heart, but that the world may know. What does the world need to know? What did Jesus think the world needed to know? He said, I want the world to know that above all, I love my Father. I love the Father. Amen. And that the Father's given me a commandment. To lay my life down. For those that me and my father love. That the world may know. Jesus was compelled by love. He was compelled by love. That the world. That Brittany and myself and Josh and Mize and Deborah. That we would know. That he loved his father. And that his father gave him a work to do. He said, let's go. He knew where he was going. Where was he going? He was turning himself over, wasn't he? He knew what was happening. Remember, he done told Judas to go do what you need to do. Go. Go do what you need to do. He knew what was coming. Matter of fact, Isaiah 50 tells us that the father had been telling him of what was going to happen. That he would give his back. He would give his back to the smiters. And what they would do, Brother Shannon, they would take those whips and those flogs and they would, they would beat him with them. They would spit on him and pull out his beard. and they, he, he knew where he was going. It's not that he wondered what he would have to go through. It wasn't that he was not aware of what he was about to face. He said, I'm going to face it that the world will know that I love my father. I love him. Jesus' love. He was compelled by love. You got you to remember, we're being what? Conformed yeah. into that same image, Amen. Keith. That the more we grow and overflow in his love, that is how we too will be compelled that we're not doing things for selfish ambition. We're not doing things for notoriety. We're not doing things for popularity. We're not doing things to impress people. We do things so that people will know that we have a love. We have a love for God. And He's given us something to do. So I do. Paul, Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians. Chapter number 4, verse 14, he says, 
For the love of Christ compels us. For we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And Jesus died for all that those that live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and rose for them. You see, that compelling factor. That as we're being conformed to his image, as we're thinking about how he walked and what he did when he walked, what he said when he did what he did. All those things are manifestations of his love, Miss Pat, for his father. And he says, my father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep. Amen. Amen. It was it was a reciprocal relationship. His love for the father and the father's love for him and the father's gift in giving him what he gave him. Uh, to walk in. I mean, this is God giving God something. Amen? Because that's why Jesus was tormented and troubled. You remember when he was going to the garden, the scripture said he fell to the ground. He was tormented. Why? Not because of, of what they were going to do to him, but that in this work, what was going to happen? Jesus knew not, not, it wasn't the beatings and the rejection of the people it was that he would be forsaken by his father because the father would pour all our sin and wickedness would be placed upon him who never knew it amen Amen. that's what had him so so troubled but you know, what was Jesus' prayer there when he said, Lord, if there's, any, if there's any other way, but not my will, thy will be what? That the world may know. That the world may know. He was compelled. His love. Not, not just his love, but we see his light. His light. That Jesus is the light of the world. His revelation. How he lived his life. The clarity. The truth that he gave away and shared. We want to see that he lived in that light. He walked in that light. He shared that light. He clung to that light. He illuminated that light. And when we think about us being conformed to his image, not only are we to be compelled by his love, but we want to be, we want to be clear. We want to, we, we want to have the clarity of the light of God's revelation uh, flowing out of us so that we can talk to people about the weather, per se. Let's just, that's light, ain't it? Amen. That's light. That's illuminating. That's shining light in a dark world that has no idea of what's going on with all this weather stuff. Outside of just something happened naturally because of the, 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 the way the seasons are. But you know, God put all that motion, put all that in motion when? The day that He created the sun, the moon, and the stars. He said, I'll let them be for lights and for seasons and months and days to govern the world. So who's behind all that? God is. That's light. That's revelation. That's the things that Jesus illuminated for us.
His life. What was his life? It was a reward. It was his cause. Jesus said, I don't come to, I don't come to be served. I come to what? Serve. I don't, I don't come to condemn. I come to what? Grant life. I didn't come to, I come to deliver. And he says, the thief cometh nothing but to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I come to give you life and life more abundantly. So when we consider what God's doing with us, we see the same thing. But, and then this is kind of where I want to land just for a few minutes. Is that we see his, his loyalty. His loyalty. What I mean by his loyalty? There was a reliability with Jesus. A reliability. A rely, remember that. A reliability with Jesus at every facet of his life. Jesus was credible. He was a credible witness. And we watch him in how he does what he does. Look at, look at Mark 14. I want you to see this from the opposite side with, with Peter. With Peter. Oh, Peter, he was something, wasn't he? Would Peter would have died for Jesus? I think he would have. I think he would have. Notice what he says in verse number 27 of Mark 14. Mark 14, 27 says, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble. All of you will be made to stumble. Not some of you, but what? All of you will be made to stumble of me this night, for it is written, what was written? I will strike the shepherd. That would be Christ. God will strike the shepherd. And the sheep that followed the shepherd will be what? Scattered. It's going to happen. This is God's design. This is God's will. Verse 28. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to Jesus, notice what he said. Even if the rest of these, my brethren, if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. I ain't going nowhere, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I surely say to you that today, even this night before the rooster crows, twice. You will deny me how many times? Three times. But he spoke, that is Peter, spoke more vehemently. And he says, if I have to what? If I have to die with you, Jesus, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. They followed his lead. I want to tell you, old Peter was as sincere as Peter could be. Peter was going to die for Jesus that night if it was up to him. But you know what? It wasn't up to him. Amen. Amen. Peter would have died. He would have, he would have laid his life down on the line. Matter of fact, the evidence of it is when one of those guards came to grab a hold of Jesus, what did Peter do? Peter pulled out that blade. Rusty, he pulled out that pocket knife that he had and he reached out and he was going for the what? The juggler. He's going to kill that man that night that just laid his hands on his, on his shepherd. He was going to die. He would have been willing to die. Instead of getting him in the throat, where did he get him? Hey, girl, where did he get him? He cut off one of his ears. 
Now, this is what we want to look at. We're talking about loyalty and reliability. There are times that we can, we can have a, a miss, listen to me now, this is important, a misapplied zeal. This is what this is. A misapplied zeal. Even the greatest acts of zeal, love and loyalty can be mistaken, misguided, and tainted with sinful sincerity. Amen. Why? It's not God's will. It's not His way. It's not His work. So we live in a society, and this is where we want to where we want to get to. We live in a society that believes uh, being passionate and being zealous or being loving always wins. But it don't always win if it ain't God's will, if it ain't God's way, and it ain't God's work. This was a misapplied zeal. He was going to go to, he would die, Pam, for Jesus. But that's not what the father had intended. Why? Because the rest of them couldn't die with Jesus. There's only going to be one person die out of this group that belonged to Jesus, and that was going to be the shepherd. That was going to be, it couldn't be Peter and Jesus dying on the cross. It wasn't going to be Peter and John or James or whoever else it was. There was going to be one that died, and nobody else would be brought on trial that night and the next day and put on a cross to die with Jesus. There was only going to be one that would lay his life down for, for the sheep. And that would be the king. Amen. And no matter what Peter did, when he went to kill that man, God stayed him and kept him from killing him. Because if he would have killed him, they would have drove Peter off for murder. And they would have, they would have crucified him along with his shepherd. But it wasn't going to happen. But Peter would have fought. And he would have died for Jesus that night. But it was just a misapplied zeal. And we can do the same thing. Now what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? We got to keep in mind that what is possible is not always profitable for me or the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus said when he prayed? If it be possible, which it could have been. But not for the redemption of mankind. There was only one way, and that would be Jesus have to lay his life down. But Jesus said, I know you can do it, but not my will be done. Whose will? Remember when Paul came to the Lord and asked God to take away that thorn in his flesh? It was possible that God could. But it wouldn't have been profitable for Paul or the rest of us if he'd have taken it away. There are things in life that are possible that God is able to do, but it's not profitable for you, nor me, nor the rest of the kingdom of God. That's why we say, not my will be done, but what? Thine will. We don't want to misapply zeal in things that God is not in and involved in. All that does is just set us up for failure and to misguide and mislead other people. Hey, what is allowable is not always beneficial for me or my brothers. What is allowable? Or we can say it like this, what is permissible? What is lawful for me? Just because I can don't mean I should. Are you with me? Just because I have the right to doesn't mean that I ought to. 
What I want to learn how to do is, God, what is your will? I want the world to know that I what? Love you. And as a result, I give up my rights so that they can see you in me. And this is what we want to, we want to learn as we walk in through this. So this is what I, as your pastor, you, we together, is that I don't want my relatability to come at the expense of me being reliable unto the Lord. What do I mean by being relatable? We live in a culture that everybody wants to relate to one another in one way or a form. And what we can easily do is we can compromise our reliability for our relatability. And Jesus is the greatest example of these things. Remember when that rich young ruler came up to Jesus and he said, I, I, I want, what will it take for me to inherit eternal life? And what did Jesus tell him? Well, what's your, what's your interpretation? What about the law? Have you, have you kept the law? What did he say? Oh yeah, I've kept, I kept the whole law. I've done all that. And what did Jesus then turn around and say? In our day to be relatable, you know what we, you know what people would have done today? Man, we got a believer right here. Are you with me? To be relatable, we would have just patted the old boy on the back and say, man, you got eternal life. You good to go. I mean, look, you, you asking for it. You must want it. And you, you, you understand what all this is about. The law. Come on, let's go with it. Well, what did Jesus say to him? Go sell all your stuff and what? Give it it away and come. Well, you see, the first thing the boy did when he walked up to him, he did like I would with Brother Shannon. Hey, good brother, how you been doing? Brother Shannon wouldn't have thought twice about me calling him a good brother if that passage wouldn't come to his mind. It was just a greeting. And when he said that to him, you know what Jesus said? Why did you call me? There ain't nobody good except who? And that old boy shifted his tune real quick. Why? Because he couldn't see God in Christ. Couldn't see God in Jesus. And remember, that's essential. That's an essential work of the grace of God in salvation. You got to see God in Jesus. If you can't see God in Jesus, you don't see Jesus as your Lord and Master, your Savior, who you're giving your life to, who laid his life down for you. That's one of the essentials of the light of the Gospels as as 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says that we see God in the face of Christ, which is the treasure that God has given us, that God was in him. He is God. And when he says do something, you do it. Amen. And the evidence of that boy didn't trust him and see that he was God. You know what he did? He walked away. You see, but Jesus didn't compromise his reliability to the truth to be relatable to this guy. Amen. He didn't do it. Think about when them guys came up to Jesus and they wanting to talk with him about the resurrection. Remember them Sadducees? They came up to him. Y'all remember reading that? We're looking, going back a few, a few chapters, chapter 10, 11, and 12. But remember when they came up to him and said, Jesus, tell us about this. The Bible says, Moses said this. If a man dies and he's got several brothers, 
The next brother in line is to take his wife to raise up a child. Well, let's say that happened and then that man died, then the next one died, and then the next one died, and then the next one died, and they all had her as a wife. They all knew her. They all knew her intimately. Whose wife would she be in the resurrection? They were trying to catch him. They wanted to stump him like, well, that is, I ain't never thought of it like that. That's what them Sadducees wanted to do. They were being clever. They thought they had him. Like, we see what Moses tells us to do, but if we do that, it won't work out the way people think it's going to work out when they go to heaven. So if it doesn't work out, there's no way there can be a resurrection then if that be the case. Right. And then Jesus says, well, man, you, you're mistaken. Now see, if he wanted to be relatable, he would have compromised his reliability to the truth and he would have just coddled these old boys and talked to them. Well, man, they know Moses. They know what Moses said about ought to be doing. Y'all go on and go ahead and do that. You see, but he did not compromise his reliability and credibility, his loyalty to his father and the truth so that he could relate to these people who didn't know God. Who didn't know him. You know what Jesus turned around and said? You are greatly mistaken. He says, and you don't know the power of God. Matter of fact, he says this. Remember when God came to Moses at the burning bush? He didn't say that God was past tense long ago when he was living the God of Abraham he said he is the God of Abraham. So if he is the God of Abraham, that means Abraham is what? He's living the day. God's not the God of the dead. He's the God of who? Living. The living. And he says, you don't know how it's going to be in the resurrection. Number one, God hadn't revealed all that to you as of yet, but you are greatly mistaken. He didn't com compromise his reliability to be relatable. He corrects them on these things which they wasn't looking for correction. And then a scribe, a scribe comes up and says, Jesus, man, you just told them guys some good old stuff there. They don't believe the resurrection. I believe in the resurrection. And boy, you just, that was good word you just gave them right there. And you know what Jesus does? Instead of coming alongside and saying, you see here, this man agrees with me. Jesus told that scribe this. He said, man, you're not too far from the kingdom. Not too far. Yeah. See, he didn't come out, compromise his reliability to be relatable. He didn't say you was in the kingdom. He just said you're not too far from it. You're, close. you're getting closer. And then he tells his people, Tommy, that day, while they were standing there, and that same scribe that came up and tried to pat him on the back said he did a good job, he said, look, be careful with these scribes. Be careful with them. Don't listen to what they have to say. They can't answer this question. How is it that God says that David was, was the Christ's father and he called him Lord at the same time? You see, that reliability and loyalty to the truth and his father didn't put him in a, a position to compromise that reliability just to be relatable. To people. We live in a society today that people want, they will, they will 
dumb down the revelation of the truth of God and their reliability to it to try to relate to a culture that don't know God, can't connect to Him, don't know anything about Him, and they will compromise the reliability of the Word of God so that they can make something more relatable to a people who are blind and just can't see it. We have to guard ourselves. Jesus is our example of it. Don't throw out your reliability to promote your relatability with a world that cannot connect, abide, or relate to Jesus. You see, we cannot violate or diminish the value of the point and the purpose of a passage and its eternal truth to appeal, to accept or affirm the demands of the culture that we live in. Stay with the truth. Stay with the word. Amen. If they can't see it, there was a time you couldn't see it either. You know who's got to turn the light on? Who does? You not turning the light on. Who turns the light on? You got to let God turn the light on. Amen. Misapplied zeal. That's what Peter tried to do. You know what Peter tried to do? He tried to turn the light on to Jesus who didn't need the light on. He already had it on. And he was revealing to Peter he was in the dark on this. But because of Peter's zeal to try to be loyal to his master, Peter totally missed the point. Amen. And we can't afford to do that as well. Amen? You know why? Because the world we live in is already confused. The world we live in is already in darkness and deception. And I can't use darkness and deception to free a world that's already in darkness with something that is not reliable to the truth because I want to be relatable to them in this world we live in. We just don't want to do that. Amen? Amen. And we, we see this loyalty of Jesus. Although he, His revelation, His revelation, His light kept Him reliable. Reliable. Credible loyal to the Father. So, what is he doing? He's conforming us to his... He's conforming us to his Son. And we see his Son's love. We see his light. We see his life. We see his loyalty. We want to be compelled by love. We want to walk in His light and His revelation. We want to have the cause to transfer life, but I can't use dead things to do it. So I've got to be loyal to Him and the revelation He's given so that it will set men free. What did Jesus say? The Son has come to set men free. He said, the Son will make you free and the truth that we No, it's truth that frees men. Amen? It's truth. Not misapplied zeal. Not passion. Not not love. Those things don't set men free. What sets men free? Jesus and the truth that he unveils. We got to stay with the word. Amen? Amen? Stay with the word. Let God be God and let him set men free. And use you to do it. Don't you want to have a burden for people? Don't you want to be a blessing to people? We've got to do it Jesus' way. If we're going to do it at all. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We bless you. 
We ask you to help us with these things, that as we look to you and as we walk in your light, as we take these tools, these lights that you've given us, that we just go uh, let them be applied in our daily walk and how we're to live and we're to share them with those that are around us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for helping us. Thank you with your patience with Peter, even when he had no clue of what he was doing, just like there are times when we misapply uh, zealousness for you. You are still patient with us. But we, won't, we don't want to deceive people. We don't want to uh, do anything that would mislead them. So I pray that you would plant your light within us. And that you would blossom your gladness out of us so that people will see you and that we could say as Jesus said, that the world may know that we love you and you've given us a work to do. So we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, my daddy's having to go work out in that snow. He's got to go work in that snow? Yeah. So you know what we need to do for him? Pray. That's right. We sure will. We sure will. She said her daddy has to go work in that snow. I want to pray for all our, our uh, power guys and all that. That's going to be out in it too. That's some dangerous stuff. Dangerous times to be on the road of law enforcement. And uh, people, still, people still criminals and crooks, whether it's snowing, raining, or whatever. So uh, accidents, those types of things, we want to be praying for, for those and others that's got to get out and work. Emmylou, how you doing? You good? Oh, so sweet. And another thing. Uh, my, my pretty bride made each one of y'all a little pound of love. For Valentine, she, she handmade these little cards and it says, May your love grow and overflow. That's out of First Thessalonians chapter number 3. Some translations say, May your love grow more and more. May it abound in love. And the, this one particular says, May it grow and overflow toward each other. So that's our prayer for each one of us, for each one of you, that our loves would grow and overflow in Jesus. So we want to make sure you get you a pound cake and take with you. And we just give it to you in, uh, in love for y'all being so gracious and kind to us. And uh, it is our prayer that we all grow in love together. These girls are just loving on the preacher today, huh? Palmer Lee's looking around thinking she's ready to break out and run too. <laughs>